If you love to read books, chances are you love to talk about them too. But have you ever wondered about whether your favorite celebrities or public figures love to read as well? If you might share a favorite book or preferred genre with them? Well, I sure have, so I'm on a mission to find book lovers, book nerds, if you will, in unexpected places. In this interview series, I'll be talking with people you recognize but don't necessarily associate with books, musicians, actors and actresses, athletes, and more. We will be discussing all of their current projects you want to hear about, of course, but we will also be digging into their unique reading and writing lives. In this interview, I chat with Alexi Pappas, a professional runner who has competed in the Olympics, a writer, filmmaker, actress, and now the author of her very own memoir, Bravey, Chasing Dreams, Befriending Pain, and Other Big Ideas. Listen on to learn what a Bravey is, hear Alexi discuss the wide range of life experiences she shares in her book, get a hint at a new television project she is working on, and much more. So I've got Alexi Pappas here today with me. Alexi, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Um, so we're recording this a little bit before folks will hear it in January. And this is like the last interview I'm recording this year. And the year doesn't seem like it will end ever. Um, and so all these interviews have kind of turned into, at least at first, I feel like checking in with folks and like, how have you been doing this year? Where have you been this year? What have you been doing this year? Yeah, it's been as, as everybody could probably relate an unexpected year. And it started in a really interesting place because we premiered, my team and I, our feature film Olympic Dreams at the very beginning of 2020. And that is a movie that we shot. It was the first ever fictional movie shot in an Olympic village. And we made it with my partner, Jeremy Teicher and Nick Kroll as like a three person team. And just before the shutdown happened, we premiered that movie in theaters. And it was literally the last movie that I saw in theaters and that most of the people I knew saw in theaters because it was Valentine's Day. Yeah. And then I... I flew to Greece to do what I thought would be a couple of weeks of training before a race. And then everything shut down. And I actually got stuck in this port city in Greece called Patras for almost five months unexpectedly. And my whole life shifted. And I was meanwhile editing and finishing this book, Bravey, while overseas unexpectedly. And then, uh, you know, it just, that tone just carried throughout the year where I suddenly realized that I could not and should no longer plan more than a month in advance in my life. And so that's, <laughs> that's kind of where we're at here. Oh my gosh, five months. So were you, you were over there to start training? So I will sometimes, I'm dual citizen, Greek American, and I will go over there for training camps. And I went over there for one such training camp, just supposed to be a couple weeks. And it became a couple months because of the, the shutdown. And I thought it was actually a really unique experience for me to be able to live there for longer than like a month at a time, which is typically how much time I might spend over there. And to really have to have a life over there and, and, and to navigate the pandemic in the way that the countries close to Italy, like Greece really, it was a very serious shutdown. And so I really learned both what it was like to be a Greek, you know, living in Greece and also a European living during the pandemic. Interesting. So I'm just curious about that a little bit more yeah. as far as like 
I know Europe has done things differently than we have in a number of ways here in the United yeah. States. So you said it was very serious lockdown for a while. And then did you see more positive results more quickly because of how that was handled? So we did. So Greece had these really strict guidelines um, in response to what they saw happening in Italy back in February and March of 2020. And it was basically that you could not leave your house without a government a government issued permission slip and you had to have one of six reasons to leave the house and you needed to have that permission slip and your id with you at all times and you know as an olympian i was allowed to train but i needed to have this permission slip with me and police would stop me and make sure i had it and make sure i was in the right areas and it was super serious but in that first wave, Greece managed really well, especially with an older population there. I think it has still, I think Greece has been hit hard in the second wave as a lot of European countries have. But in that first wave, it was really remarkable to see that kind of leadership and response, even though, you know, for Greeks, like, you know, sitting outside for a four hour coffee is like super mm. common part of their daily culture. And so it was a really tough, I think, change for people but I think they knew it was for the greater good and it was obviously a law um so it was good it was nice to see that but it's also been hard to see how once the country opened up to like tourism um the second wave has come about and I know we're all still dealing with that and hopefully we'll come out of it soon but it was a really interesting experience for me and you know I I love going into new worlds, like whether it's an Olympic village or this time in Greece or, you know, other periods of time in my life that I know are not forever and really embodying, like creating a routine and making a home out of those new circumstances. It's something that I feel like I've always done and enjoyed. And it's a, as much for survival and comfort as it is for any, you know, for joy. Um, and that was one of those periods of time in my life. That's a really nice positive spin to put on. <laughs> well, you have, you know, circumstances. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I'm just, and I think I, I write about this in the book, but just I'm stubborn. And I think I'm stubborn to the point where I want to have a reason why my later self will rewrite whatever history, whatever's going on in my life to be for the best. And that means that when I'm in a tough situation, I try to figure out a way why my later, later Alexi will, will have justified like wh what that time was, you know? That's cool. So what are things looking like for you now with like your training and plans for the Olympics being rescheduled? Because I think everybody was kind of at first, like, let's get through 2020 yeah. But things for 2021 are looking you know, just different than I guess earlier this year, we all thought they would. So what totally. does that mean for you and your running? Yeah. You know, it still means that the smartest thing to do is to take this month by month. And I, you know, running long distance running marathoning, which I ran the 10,000 in the last Olympics on the track. And now I've moved up to the marathon to, you know, just push myself to some new event but marathons are super public events they require you know being shutting down streets closing off a portion of a city and it just isn't realistic 
to have those races right now. And I totally understand that. And so what I've tried to do is just make the most of, you know, strengthening my weaknesses and being available and ready when the world does open up, but also recognizing that it doesn't make sense to try to live in a, in a vacuum right now. Like it would be, it doesn't make sense to have these big road races right now. And I understand that. And I'm super grateful that my first Olympic experience was a little bit more traditional. Like if I'm going to be perfectly honest, the hardest thing for me before 2016 was just qualifying. Mm -hmm. And I, it was never a question of would I have the opportunity to qualify or not. It was just, could I do it? Could my mind and body do it? And now there's that extra layer of, will there be an opportunity? And again, I think right now we'll see what that looks like. I have hope that late spring there'll be some races happening or early summer. Um, but I also need to trust that whatever opportunities there are, are is for the best of like for everyone. Sure. And, you know, I'm a part of a bigger dialogue and people have eyes on me. So I also think I'm not going to do something that I wouldn't recommend that somebody else do. And that's part of being like, not just an athlete, but a role model and a leader. And, uh, and I take that, you know, I'm honored, but I also take it seriously. Sure. So let's take that a step further then and dive in a little bit to Bravey because I think you are like a role model and a leader in a lot of different ways that you share in the book. Um, I absolutely love the book. Like just absolutely love Thank it. Thank you. Um, oh my God. Thank you. Yeah, you're right. You're a great writer, um, which is helpful in any book, but you know, in the way that you tell the stories I think it's interesting the way that you've set it up as sort of a memoir in a series of essays, which was really yeah. interesting as a reader. Um, and then just like the personal nature of all of the different stories that you tell in the book is really moving and motivating and inspiring. Um, so for folks listening who may not have read the book yet when they're hearing this, could you give kind of like an overview of Bravey and what um, sort of inspired you to wanna to write a memoir and put that out in the world? Yes. So, so Bravey is a memoir and essays, and I've always loved memoirs. First of all, I've always loved learning about how the people that I would like to be like, or the people that I am, um, you know, admiring or people who have broken barriers that I want to reach as well, how they got to where they were. And I found that the biggest difference between social media and a book, for example, is that on social media, we might see snippets mm -hmm. of somebody's journey. We might see little epiphanies here and there, but ultimately we're seeing these snapshots that are not encapsulated in, in, a, in a whole journey. And I think if you look at any one snapshot of my life growing up, you might not guess that I would be where I am today. And that was really the, the seed of inspiration for this book where I think it is important to find a medium and to tell the whole story and a book um, allowed me to do that. And, you know, I, I hope that the people who find it, uh, they're going to find any number of, of, of takeaways from the mental health element of things. I, I lost my mom when I was just before I turned five to suicide and eventually, uh, you know, found my own, my own challenges with mental health after the Olympics. And so there's that strong, strong thread throughout the book. Um, and there's also just 
the the threat of of finding mentors when you might not have that keystone mentor whether it's you there's no mom in your life or some something else i've i've always felt like the world is a reservoir for mentorship and we can go uh fishing for it and we can patchwork quilt our own our own visual for our own future and the book the book talks about that stuff too so really it's um it's a lot of it's glory and it's gore. Like there have been a lot of really big ups and big downs in my life, and I hope that people find themselves um, comfortable, comfortably uncomfortable within within their experience of the book. <laughs> I like that, and and that's life. And I I really have grown to like memoirs more over the past couple of years, um, and I think, like you said, that's really what I appreciate and look for because everybody's life, you may see this one thing, like you say, social media, you may see this one thing that people present, but everybody has those ups and downs and challenges. And one of the things I really appreciate about memoirs is when people kind of let that wall down and share the things that you may not know looking at somebody or from the piece of their life that you know publicly. Um, If you don't mind, I'm gonna dig into the mental health piece a little bit more and it's people that listen to the podcast um, hear this from me um, sometimes because I'm actually a therapist in real life too. And then I do book things like for fun um, on the side. And so I'm kind of, it keeps coming up in these interviews because I guess I'm kind of drawn to books that have that component in them as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I talk a bit about my own anxiety and depression and things I deal with. Um, So I think the way that you have handled that in the book, um, telling your story, telling your mom's story, making the connection between the two kind of, um, is really, like you said, it's painful and difficult, but it's, I think it's important for people to hear, if that makes sense. So I guess kind of the question that I'm getting at is, why have you found that to be important to put out there yeah well you know having a strong history of like mental illness in my family made me like highly susceptible to it right like I was aware from a very young age that it was possible that like my mom like her brother who also took his own life um that it was possible that I would encounter some something like it but it was it was always a mystery to me And there was never anything done in the way of like preventative care or preparing me for what, what I might do if it, if it happened to me. And when it did happen to me, it was in the form of like a post-Olympic depression, which many Olympians go through, whether they win gold or get last. I mean, I ran a national record. I had the time of my life. It was phenomenal. It was life-changing, but I simply was not prepared for the tremendous crash that a lot of people face when they've chased a dream, a singular dream for their whole life, and then it's over. And what made me motivated to talk about it in the book was that if I wasn't prepared as someone who has all the resources in the world, seemingly as an Olympian, as someone who, you know, I've had great educational opportunities, I've had a history of mental illness, then is anybody prepared? And the biggest epiphany that I had in my journey was was realizing with the help of eventually with the help of a doctor that my brain is a body part 
And it was such an epiphanal moment for me because my whole life I'd been able to manage body injuries like a pro, right? Like we are trained from a very young age as athletes, but even just as people to when we have something that we feel in our body, like our, our knee hurts mm-hmm. to, to tell someone to seek help, to understand that it might be an injury, to understand that injuries can heal, to understand that injuries take time to heal, to be as kind to ourselves as we are hard on us, ourselves. And that whole metaphor to have that translate into the mental health um, world for me, that changed my whole life. That was when I realized that I could heal, that my brain was a body part, just like my knee. And I think writing Bravey was um, part of me was subconsciously speaking to like a younger me who didn't have that kind of resource, but would have loved and would have soaked in something like that. But also being aware that this is a new way to look at mental health and it, and I'm in a unique position to communicate that. And, um, and it's one thing to have experiences and it's another thing to be able to communicate them succinctly and in a detailed way that communicates. And I think that's what I tried really hard to do with Bravey. And I hope, I hope it does translate. Yeah, I definitely think it does. It gives kind of that picture. And, and I think part of this is, is the format you've chosen too with the essays. I mean, it gives that picture of the essay following the Olympics, like what that was like for you and what that journey was like, um, how you felt and realizing what was going on and what you did about it kind of puts the reader into your shoes, which I think is a helpful thing for like mental health awareness and education and for other readers who might be dealing with similar things like you're saying to help identify for themselves. Right, because I think there are, you know, there are like conceptual support books for mental health where, you know, these concepts are laid out, but to root it in something super specific, it's like we're always taught as filmmakers that the more specific we get, the more relatable, the more broad your film is going to reach. And it's so true. And what was fun and, 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 you know, vulnerable was like going into those really specific details and understanding that as a storyteller, the more specific I could get, the more broad it would it would be able to reach. Mm -hmm. So you are, by telling this story and many of the other stories you tell through the book, you are by definition a bravey, which folks (laughs) listening may not know what that means. So I think this is a good point maybe to link on to that too and talk a little bit about that word that you've kind of coined and what it means, what it means to you. Yeah, so bravey is, is, um, is the name of the book and it's, we can all, you know, choose to be a bravey. And where that word came from was a poem that I wrote. So on social media, I've, I, I enjoy writing, you know, short, short poems. And one such poem was run like a bravey, sleep like a baby, dream like a crazy, replace can't with maybe. And that word bravey, you know, fit in well, but it stuck, I think, because growing up, I chased such specific outward facing labels, strong, fierce, fast, funny, pretty, but I, but they were all outward facing. They described an energy that I was to project into the world and that someone might assign me. And I think being brave or being a bravey is different because it's inward facing. It's a choice you make about a relationship with yourself. It's, um, you know, we all have dreams that we're chasing, however big and small, and we can all decide to give ourselves a chance. 
And I think what's what's stuck about that word is that it is a choice. It's a it's a word that that can mean what you choose it to mean. And you can just simply decide that you are that. And I think just like you can decide to be a bravey, you can make conscious choices to tell yourself what you'd like to be in this world and what you who you'd like to be until it becomes a part of you. And, you know, anyone can be a bravey. And, and I think it's a, it's a different way of, of identifying in the world. And it's a flip. You can switch in your mind where you're like, no, I am this now. I am from here forward. I am this. You have a lot of, um, I think, strength from how you frame things with, with the terms like this, what you did kind of at the beginning when we were talking with how you look at what's happening in your life and how you can reframe that, which I love. And it's probably like a really bad therapist thing to say, but <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's kind of taking what's in your control and, and how you look at it. And I loved in reading and looking at, you know, what you've defined as a bravey, that kind of idea of like just going for what you want, I guess, and thinking and believing that maybe it's possible or that you will make it happen. And, and I've seen this across different people's writing and memoirs, but it's, it's almost like manifesting what you want into your life, like putting it out there and saying, this is what I want. And I, I truly think it changes not just how you look at it, but how you go about working towards that goal. Yeah, it's, I think, you know, how we label something is so our choice and it so makes all the difference in the world. And vocabulary and, 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 and framing and reframing our goals and rewriting our story is like, it's a powerful tool that we're allowed to do. And this is coming from someone who is in an objective sport. Like running, you have a place. You finish first, second, third, fourth, last. You run this time. It seems so objective. And in some ways it is. And in some ways it isn't because I think how we see our performance, how we see our journey and how we see our, our dream chasing is how the world will begin to embrace us instead of the other way around. And I think from a really young age, I had a choice to make. Like I could see the world as like a place that takes things from me because that's how it felt when I was little and like lost my mom that way, it felt like the play, the world, I could have seen it as a place of scarcity. And that probably would have manifested throughout my life had I seen the world that way. And had I seen that experience as something that was taking from me. And I did for a little while, but I also tried to reframe it as, okay, I don't have this one thing, this one person but I get to have everybody else. I get to have everybody else as a mentor instead and feeling almost entitled to that and allowed to have that and seeing the world as a place of abundance. I think that's just seeing the very same circumstance in two different ways. And I think we always have that choice, right? To see something that happens to us or an obstacle ahead in two different ways. And to know that we have that choice is really empowering. And then to make the choice that is, going to make us feel like a winner, going to make us feel like we're more capable is just the smart thing to do, right? Sure. I love that. I love that positivity. Yeah. And it's not, it's not easy every day to do that. Yeah. And it's not just like, I think there's like this turn, like the optimism and positivity is like, that is like, that is true, but it's also just about 
what's useful and like how are you going to survive like I will say that like I think this book is, is gritty because I wasn't always like I just want to be positive it was like I need to do whatever I need to do to survive because I don't get to have this person and that sucks so it was really out of a need and a almost like a desperation at first to to survive yeah one of my favorite essays um is is the one that you've kind of referenced where you you talk about the mentors that you were actively like seeking out and i can see that in that like grasping for that you needed people to help fill in not not a mom role you can't replace your mom but like that female sort of leadership in different parts of your life um and I think in general, like for me being a woman reading this book, you talked so much about things with like health and fitness and how it's different for women and it's not looked at as different for women a lot, which was really powerful and sort of like roles and rules and expectations that other people put on women, but that we put on ourselves as well. And so that was just another piece that I wanted to point out to folks listening that I think for women reading this book is really powerful. Thank you. Yeah, it's the body, you know, it's such a man. There's so there's so much ambiguity because there's like there's like the man, the with growing up as like a woman, there's like the body and the person you like hope you'll become. There's the one that you are striving for. And then there's like the realities of, of like what's actually happening and just navigating those like three realities or is so, it's so challenging. And uh, I tried growing up to like amuse in that process as best I could. And it's just, I think it's hard for everyone to grow up, man, woman, like it's hard. Growing up is hard and I tried to like paint a picture in the book of how it really, how it really felt to have shifting mentors and grabbing whatever I could and also a shifting body as, as I trained and my body changed into this like feral bobcat Olympian when I might've expected to be a Disney princess when I was little and I didn't feel that way. So like just really having like kindness for ourselves when that process is hard um and just navigating with like as much curiosity as we can because it's going to be hard but we can embrace that hard those bumps and those hurdles with like an eye of of amusement and curiosity or we can again feel like this is terrible and like it can be hard but not terrible right sure but I think it's helpful to have people like you to share the information too because I'm not an athlete. So I was fascinated by all of the the specifics about health and fitness and the training and the pain and that sort of thing. But for young women that are growing up who are trying to do these things and are maybe not getting this information from their male high school track coach, you know, I think that's super important. Yes. To have it be like a guidebook of sorts. Like it's not just emotion. It's like there are real like lessons in there and like facts that if you could just own them it will you'll save some time you know (laughs) sure sure 
Um, I'm going to stop myself for, for a moment from rambling about the book so we can leave something for people to read without me going on about all the great essays in there. Um, and if you're okay, I'm going to switch gears to kind of your like reading interests for a little bit. Uh, so you talked in the book about studying um, at Dartmouth in college, studying English, poetry, you write poetry still. Um, have you always been interested in reading and writing since you were younger? Or is that something that's developed as you grew older? Yeah, so I, I would say I've always been interested in writing. And at Dartmouth in college, I became interested in poetry because I was so interested in words. And, you know, this is a theme on this, in this conversation of like selecting this word over this word or, or choosing to see the words we feed ourselves as very important. And so I think that that, um, that focus on poetry in, in early college days were, that gave me like a, a greater understanding of what a word can do mm -hmm. and and I loved it. I loved it. And it is the very foundation of like writing good dialogue in a movie or writing a book that properly communicates, yeah. you know? Um, do you have certain things that you like prefer to read for fun these days and as an adult? Do you like reading poetry more or? I read a lot of poetry in college. It was like, I'll, I'll, I'm often reading a lot of what I'm writing. So in college, I did, I read a lot of poetry, I wrote a lot of poetry. And then I met and fell in love with Jeremy Teicher and he became my partner in the filmmaking world, which was his world at the time. And he showed me how I could translate that economy of words into script writing. And I enjoyed that much more actually because filmmaking felt like a team sport. Hmm. And I love like teams. I love like having a goal, chasing it, having a group behind me, like working together. And I was able to then, you know, translate that into film, writing for film. And I started watching more movies, reading more scripts, trying to learn from Jeremy because he had such a reservoir of, of background in that world. And then, you know, when we started, when I started working on this book, Bravey, uh, I was into memoirs before that, but I was really into memoirs like in this process. Um, so I think I've always been interested in learning more about the crafts that I'm in and that's, that's evolved and it'll continue to evolve. Like now I'm learning how to write for television and that's another skill entirely. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So have you found one medium, I don't want to say easier, but like, I don't know, better fit or a flow going from film writing to writing this book and then now television, like that's, that's kind of interesting. I'd like to hear more about the, I don't know how the writing's different between. Yeah. Well, uh, I like dialogue the most in movies and in television. So there's a lot of writing in, in a movie and in a TV show that's actually not dialogue. It's, you know, envisioning the story and how what needs to happen um, to get the players from point A to point Z. Mm -hmm. And I'm much more interested in like the zoomed in scene, which feels like the poet poem, the poem of version of of any of a movie is the the dialogue between two people. 
So that's always my favorite thing to write. And it's why I'm grateful to have a partner like Jeremy, because like his, I think his strength is seeing the bigger picture and seeing the whole, you know, the, how is the castle made? He's so good at that. And I feel like I'm really good at looking inside this one room of the castle and just like deciding how the chair is going to come into contact with the carpet, which Mm -hmm. Just the dialogue, basically. I love it. And then with the book, I enjoyed that process because with essays, maybe this is just, with essays, it felt like I was able to like jump around and make little vignettes in the, in the form of an essay. And that the, the, the thread throughout Bravey book is more of an emotional thread rather than a narrative thread. So it doesn't go chronologically. It goes more emotionally chronologically. And that's more the way I think so I think we we structured the book in a way that that catered to my interests and my strengths. Cool. It sounds like with with your interests and Jeremy's interests, you're a perfect fit and a perfect team. So that makes a lot of sense why you guys have been able to work so well together on the film aspect. Um, you mentioned writing for television. Is there anything that you can say about that at this point? <laughs> it's top secret, but very <laughs> exciting. Um, definitely, like it's super exciting because. Um, you know, it's like learning a different event in running where, yes, you're a runner, you could probably run the 5k or the 10k or the marathon, but moving from the 10k to the marathon is different. Like it's a slightly different sport. There's different preparation, there's different demands. And that's how I feel about moving from the film, from, from feature film to television writing. And thankfully in the TV writing process, we've found we have showrunners that we're working with. And so they are like your team captains and they know that you bring an authenticity of the world you're in. Like this, this particular show is, is set in a, a sports world. It's really exciting. It's the first of its kind, but our showrunners have the experience of like, what is it to make a TV show? Mm-hmm. And I think that's another part where I love these teams because everybody has their strengths. And I recognize what Jeremy and I bring, but I also recognize what these showrunners bring. And I recognize what our, you know, our, our teams at the, at the companies we're working with bring. And so I think 2021 is going to be a big, big fun year. That's exciting. Thank you for talking around that. And folks listening will have to pay attention for what's going to come. Yeah. 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 It's going to be so fun. It's going to be exciting. Um, I want to jump back to, because you mentioned while we're talking about books, um, specifically reading a lot of poetry when you were in that phase of your life, reading a lot of mm-hmm. memoirs. Um, are there books that you'd recommend to folks listening in either of those genres that are standouts? Yeah. So, okay. I, I remember in college reading Joyce Carol Oates' Wild Nights, which is actually, it's fiction. It's short, short stories, fiction but I feel like that opened my eyes to how you can blend fiction with reality Um, because she, that book like um, takes, it it, like fictionalizes the last days of life for some real people. And it's obviously fiction, but it's based in reality and based in who those people were. And that's my favorite way to make um, movies too, where, Jeremy and I really love to blend fiction with reality where we'll be in a world that we know very well. Like let's say the running world or the Olympics world. 
um, or even an emotional reality we know well, mental health, and we'll create fictional stories that could have happened. And I think that it just opened my, it blew my mind that like you could do that. And, and Joyce Carol Oates is such a strong, confident writer and you could feel it. You can feel it when you read. So I love that book. Um, with memoirs, I've really enjoyed reading memoirs from people I admire. And I think that's partly because I want to be around these people. Like when I live in the mountains, not anymore, I live in LA now, but when I was living in the mountains training, I just wanted to spend time with Tina Fey or Mindy Kaling. And so I read their books and I listened to their audiobooks, and it really helped me feel like they were my mentors. And I think we can do that for ourselves. If we, if we aren't able to be in person with these people, we can read their books and feel like they're right there with us or they're talking directly to us. And that's really cool. It's also the power of podcasts, you know, like you just, you get to be hanging out with people that you're not with, you know? Yep. Yep. And I love that you mentioned listening to the books, audiobooks that are great, I think, for memoirs, because you're hearing the person actually tell you their story, which is very cool. Yeah. 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 And it was so, oh man, I'm so excited because Maya, Maya Rudolph wrote the foreword for, for Bravey and she read it. And I just felt really honored that she did that because it was in the middle of her, um, you know, Kamala Harris SNL days, you know, she was really busy. And I just feel, I feel grateful to have her as a mentor and the foreword is incredible, but that she took the time to read it and we can hear it in her voice and the rest of the book in mine was something that was really important to me. That's so exciting. Yeah, she's amazing. I mean, it's great. Yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> I mean, not that I know her in person, but <laughs> you do in a way through the forward. This is what we're saying. Oh, it's true. Well, I've got one last question for you. If that's okay. I want to kind of loop back around to all of your careers, I'll say at large. I think it's always fascinating when people do sort of different things. Um so we've talked about you as an athlete and you as, as a writer and filmmaker and actress, even in the movies. I don't think we've talked about the acting part, but you know, as an actress and now you're a writer putting your book out in the world. And so for folks listening, like, do you have any advice or thoughts on balancing these different things and um, just kind of like striking out and, um, as we touched on before, going after maybe something different that's not in the lane of what you might presently be doing. Yes. So I think when you're chasing anything hard or you're chasing something that might require stretching yourself, the biggest thing, and this is just going to come back to another vocabulary shift, but it's the easiest and first thing that we can all do, which is to shift seeing all the, the, the strenuous effort we're making towards whatever dreams that we have as a choice rather than a sacrifice. And that is just a simple vocabulary shift. But I think when I've observed people I admire who are doing extraordinary things or, you know, just trying, they seem to always embrace their various activities as a choice. And that that word feels empowering. It feels positive. It feels like a reminder when things are tough, that it is a choice, we hope. And that word sacrifice, I just think we can do away with it because it's so bitter and it's so unuseful. So I think that's the first thing is like just feeling that vibrant 
feeling that vibrant vocabulary come into our life and just, you know, letting the useless vocabulary go away is the first thing. Your second question was basically about like kind of striking out and doing something okay. different. Cause I think you mean like this... pivoting yeah. or, okay. I've had this conversation with a couple of different people. Um, you know, like I said, like I'm a therapist, but I love books and you sort yeah. of gone out in this other Avenue. I'm doing these things. And, uh-huh. you know, I've had a conversation with, with people about, I think one thing doesn't necessarily fulfill you in your life, right? You reach out and you find these different lanes. So like, but it's scary for people to try something maybe yeah. new that's outside of what they're doing. So Yes. Okay. So that makes sense. Well, I think it comes back maybe to the word like thriving and like what things you can put in your life that make you feel like you're thriving. And, and that's different than, you know, you we're probably all doing, we could make up an excuse for ourselves as to why we should just do exactly what we're doing and not shift or not add something to our plate or not take something away from our plate. And we can always justify those decisions. But I think to visualize like ourselves as, as people who are trying to like bloom and thrive. And sometimes that means like pushing through some tough soil that we've never pushed through or like weathering, you know, I I think, I think it's just, allowing ourselves the space to try feels like what you're really asking about. You're like, how do I get the bravery to just take that first step somewhere new? Yep. Um, okay. Well then the practical answer is quite simply that we need to allow ourselves a period of time to try something new and not question the goal itself. So it's like, we have a goal of like being more in the book world or, or doing, you know, this kind of sidestep tangential thing that isn't, isn't something you've done before, then I think saying it out loud and then committing to it for a period of time without questioning the goal itself is the right thing to do. Because if we, if we question the goal itself every single day or every single time it's hard, we're probably going to find that it's not working because we're going to find that those challenges, we're going to see the challenges first, right? Before the thriving. And I think telling, telling someone to chase a new dream is safer if we tell them just chase this new dream for like two months or one year, but no questioning the dream itself while we're in it. Right. Like, so give it the two months, give it to the three months, whatever you decide and be kind enough to yourself to give yourself the space to try. Um, that's probably the best advice I can give because many people that, that I'm around that, that don't make the full step. It's simply because they haven't given themselves the space to make it. Mm. I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but what you're saying reminds me of, what did you call in the book? The rule of thirds? Yeah. Is that right? So yeah. You're going for it, but it's not going to be successful right away. And that's okay. You know what I mean? Like that kind of idea, you need to fully commit to it, but it's all right if it's not everything you think it's going to be the whole time. Yes. The rule of thirds states that when you're chasing a dream or anything hard, it should feel good a third of the time. Okay. A third of the time and crappy or (laughs) difficult or bad a third of the time. And that ratio is really important because if it feels too good all the time, you might not be pushing yourself and you might be doing something that isn't all that new for you actually. And if it's too, if you feel bad all the time, then you might be fatiguing or it might be 
you know, an unsustainable ratio. But what that those thirds suggest is that you're not meant to feel good all the time when you're doing something challenging or new or chasing a dream. And you can relish and feel good about the okay and crappy thirds because you know that it's a part of chasing a dream. And that was some of the best advice I got from my Olympic coach. And I take it with me well beyond my running career. Like I don't feel good all the time when I'm writing my book. I don't feel good all the time when I'm having a relationship, but I understand that those are also dreams and I'm doing it because like, I I'm really relishing that I'm in it because those thirds are there. You know, the roller coaster is really normal. Definitely. I love that. That's a great, I think that's kind of a great place to end. I feel energized from having talked to you, um, which is, is always a good sign. I think hopefully folks listening will too. Um, you've had so much, like you said in the book to share, I mean, there's facts and there's information and there's the grit and the things that you've been through that have been difficult and there's the perseverance and the lessons you've learned and, and the ways to push forward. And so I can't encourage folks listening enough to pick the book up when it comes out January 12th. Is that right? Yep. It's a good um, day. Books always come out on a Tuesday. Did you know that? Yes. I didn't know that. I was like, why Tuesday? Okay. <laughs> it, it is pub day. It's an exciting day for, for book nerds everywhere. <laughs> New books coming out into the world. Yeah. So, um, and the audio book, you guys remember the audio book. So you can hear Alexi reading and hear Maya Rudolph reading the introduction too is a great option. Um, thank oh, you so much. This has been such an enjoyable conversation. So fun. I'm so excited. And I hope, uh, I hope everybody, you know, has a good 2021. We're going to have a good one. It's going to be what we, you know, we're going to make it good. So there you thank go. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Alexi. We'll talk soon. Bye. Well, that's it for this edition of Conversations with Unexpected Book Nerds. You can find Alexi on Instagram and Twitter at Alexi Pappas. And don't forget her memoir, Bravey is out on January 12th. I am Beth Mowbray, and you can find me on Instagram at B is for books. That's B dot is for books. Also be sure to check out more great content right here at the Nerd Daily.